From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Wednesday, October twenty fifth, two thousand twenty three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese presidents met with the visiting governor of California in Beijing. Palestinian authorities say getting aid into war-torn Gaza continues to be a struggle, and China will launch its Shenzhou 17 mission later this week. In business, China will issue another one trillion yuan of government bonds. In sports, China is setting records at the Hangzhou Asian Para Games. In culture and entertainment, Wuzhen's theater festival is creating a tourism boom. Now checking the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met with visiting California Governor Gavin Newsom in Beijing. Uh, earlier, uh, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi also held talks with Newsom. Uh, Newsom, who started a week-long visit to China on Monday, is placing a particular focus on climate action during this trip. The governor has been taking interest in Chinese solutions to tackling climate change and the transition to green development. Dong Shui has more. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi hosted the visiting California Governor Gavin Newsom while he's currently on a week-long trip to China. In the opening remarks, both sides have expressed willingness to re-engage amid the deteriorating bilateral ties. Wang Yi said Newsom's visit to China lays a solid foundation for future engagements and reaffirmed that such visits serve the best interests of the American people and they are also in line with the expectations of the 
international community. Wang went on and said uh, the visit will not only promote mutually beneficial cooperation between China and California to a new level, but also enhance the mutual relations between China and the United States more broadly and play a, an important role in promoting the bilateral ties. And Newsom, on the other hand, said he's here in expectation as Wang suggests to turn the page of renewing the friendship, re-engaging on foundation and fundamental issues that will determine our collective faith in the future. Newsom began his visit with a climate-themed discussion at the University of Hong Kong, actually. And ahead of Beijing, he has visited uh, Hong Kong and he will continue his trip to Shanghai and the provinces of Jiangsu and Guangdong. And in Shenzhen, um, days ago, uh, in Guangdong province, he visited the first Chinese city to deploy an all-electrical bus fleet. And he also toured an offshore. He will also be touring an offshore wind facility and see sees a wetlands in preserves in Jiangsu. And he as at the same time, he will also sign agreements with leaders of Chinese provinces to set mutual commitments on a host of uh, climate goals. That was Dong Shui on the meeting between the Chinese foreign minister and California Governor Gavin Newsom. In the meantime, Chinese President Xi Jinping says China is ready to work with the United States to contribute to each other's progress and push for common prosperity. He made the remarks in a congratulatory message sent to the annual gala dinner of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. President Xi said that under the three principles of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation, China is willing to work with the U.S. President Xi added that the aim would be to advance mutually beneficial cooperation, properly manage differences, and make joint efforts to meet global challenges. A part of Gavin Newsom's visit will focus on promoting technology cooperation and green development. With more on this, Zheng Tao spoke with Eric Zhang, uh, president of AmCham Shanghai. California Governor Gavin Newsom is currently being a visit in China, focusing on the cooperation on technology and climate change. What do you make of this trip and how will it impact businesses between both sides? I think it is very important for Governor Newsom uh, to set that example, to look for opportunities, particularly focusing on climate change, green economy, electrical vehicles, and, and he's very interested in climate change. And I think uh, this is a great example for a state, a major state from the U.S. to work with China, different parts of China. So I know he started in Hong Kong, then Guangdong, Shenzhen, and, and uh, Guangdong, and going to Beijing and will end his trip in Jiangsu and Shanghai. So it will be a great opportunity for him and his delegation to see themselves how China is, is developing. I understand he was very impressed uh, visiting Shenzhen uh, with some of these uh, electrical vehicle uh, cars. And, uh, and I think it's good. He's also interested, interested in uh, high-speed rail and certainly EVs. And, and I think it's good for California to find ways uh, to work with uh, with Chinese companies and Chinese local and provincial governments. And this is good because we need uh, different levels of officials to be involved with uh, bilateral relationship. Green development and intelligent upgrading, these are two major topics for China to move forward. How will this agenda affect American investors looking ahead in the future? 
I think if you look at these uh, areas from a purely business standpoint, there will be many opportunities, right? We're talking about just commercial opportunities because we're talking about developing a green economy. Uh, you will need many participants. Uh, we're talking about technology here. So uh, one country alone would not be able to do all these. Uh, we know the supply chains are, are spread around the world and, and uh, we all need uh, you know, specialties, expertise to work together to jointly develop these new products and services. Uh, we all know uh, uh, electrical vehicle makers in China like BYD are doing very well. They are world leaders. Uh, so are battery makers in China. So, so they are also interested in working with uh, partners in the U.S. to develop opportunities. So from a commercial standpoint, I think there will be many opportunities and both sides will be very interested in working jointly together to develop new products for the green economy. Now, we also know that uh, in the current geopolitical environment, certain areas are sensitive when it comes to technology. I hope that uh, we can uh, leave politics out of this, meaning uh, for normal commercial opportunities, uh, they should not be politicized. That was uh, Eric Zhang, the president of AmCham Shanghai. High-level discussions between Beijing and Washington continue. The Chinese Foreign Ministry earlier announced that Foreign Minister Wang Yi will travel to the United States this week for face-to-face meetings with high-level members of U.S. President Joe Biden's cabinet. And Sean Calebs has more. China and the United States continue to pursue a path that could lead to a thaw in relations between the two nations. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is coming to the U.S. capital city, and both countries have a series of high-level discussions planned. It is the latest prominent meeting between China and the United States. Now, during this meeting, China's longtime foreign minister is set to speak with the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and Biden's National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. There is no shortage of issues facing the two largest economies on Earth. It is expected the two will discuss the crisis in the Middle East as fighting between Israel and Hamas threatens to escalate. U.S. officials reportedly want China to, in Washington's words, be more constructive in the Middle East. The two sides are also expected to discuss tension within the South China Sea and the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict. China's foreign ministry spokesperson Mao Ning says Wang Yi plans to clarify its relationship with the United States and hopes for better ties in the future. We hope that the U.S. side will work with the Chinese side to put the important consensus of the two heads of state into practice, strengthen communication and dialogue, expand practical cooperation, properly manage differences, and jointly push China-U.S. relations back on track for healthy and stable development. The United States has called for guardrails to manage relations between Beijing and Washington. China is rejecting that idea, asking for a different kind of great power relationship and that the U.S. must respect China's core interest. Many observers are noting the timing of Wang's visit. It comes just three weeks before the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, meeting in San Francisco. 
China has not said whether President Xi Jinping will attend the meeting, but if he does, the stage is set for a possible side meeting between the two presidents as they strive to improve communication. That was Sean Caleb's reporting from Washington. The recently signed free trade agreement between China and Serbia includes over 10,000 Serbian and almost 9,000 Chinese export products, which will be customs-free. As a a significant step in the Belt and Road Initiative's further development, the agreement expands the Chinese presence in the European market while opening the world's largest market to Serbia. Uh, From Belgrade, Ivana Nikolic has more. In the last 10 years, Serbia's exports to China have increased as much as 185 times. Only last year, China's exports to Serbia went to $5 billion, and Serbia's exports to China increased to $1.2 billion. The free trade agreement should vastly push the profit forward, but it goes beyond the economy, deepening further traditionally good relations between the two countries. Ljubodrek Savic is an economy expert and professor at the University of Belgrade. For me, apart from these economic reasons, the support of a big country to a small Serbia is also very significant. This is especially relevant in this turbulent time when many countries might not cope well. And what is the most important thing in the economic sense? First of all, Serbia is given preferential access to the huge Chinese market, which is currently the largest market in the world. And if we look at GDP by purchasing power parity, China is the dominant leader. Serbia, as a small country, will have preferential status in the sense that it will be able to sell unlimited quantities without customs duty. This is the opportunity we must use well. The free trade agreement between Serbia and China includes agricultural, automotive, high-tech and other goods and products in both countries. Many Serbian farmers and business owners are waiting for it to be able to compete in the Chinese market. Apple producers initiated and actively pursued exports to China since 2019. But according to President Gojko Zagorac of Serbia Does Apples Association, it was not possible for them before the recent agreement signing. We welcome the signing of the agreement of the abolition of custom duties. When it comes to the export of apples from Serbia to China, the protocol for harmonizing phytosanitary certificates was completed a few months ago, and we were only waiting for the signing of the free trade agreement so that our apples could be competitive on the Chinese market. We are already ready to offer our apples next season, from the month of August. China is a very large market for apples, but it is also its largest producer in the world. However, due to its export and other factors, China also imports a lot of apples. The Chinese-Serbian free trade agreement should enter into force by May or June next year. For the Beijing Hour, this is Ivan Anikolic in Belgrade. Coming up, Palestinians are struggling in war-torn Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. 
around 14 minutes past the hour. The Palestinian medical system's on the verge of collapse as humanitarian aid is still struggling to enter Gaza. Earlier, the Palestinian Red Crescent confirmed the arrival of eight trucks late on Tuesday carrying water, food, and medicine. This came after the United Nations said 20 of its trucks had been unable to cross into Gaza from Egypt via the Rafah crossing. Meantime, the Israeli military said it carried out airstrikes Tuesday on a number of Hamas targets in Gaza and killed several Hamas commanders. The Palestinians said one hospital in central Gaza and another in the south were bombed. A sustained conflict between the warring sides has killed at least 7,200 people. Nur Harazin has details. Israel has intensified its uh, strikes on the Gaza Strip in northern Gaza and also here in southern Gaza. I mean, on my left, I have uh, tens of uh, the bodies of people that were killed. It is an indescribable situation here uh, in the hospital. The Shuhada uh, al-Aqsa Hospital, which is located in uh, southern Gaza, in Deir al-Balah city. And actually, most of the people who were killed during Israeli uh, strikes in the past um, hours here in Deir al-Balah are people from Gaza City, people who fled their homes from northern Gaza and from central Gaza City and came here to take shelter at either uh, relatives' homes, uh, hospitals, schools. That was Noor Harazin reporting. Gaza's medical systems come under increasing strain amid intensified hostilities. Palestinian Health Minister Mai Al-Khalia is appealing to the, inter, uh, to the international community to pressure Israel to allow desperately needed aid into the enclave. We announced that the medical system in Gaza has collapsed. We urge the international community to press the Israeli government to allow more supplies, including fuel, medicines, medical supplies, food and drinking water into Gaza, and allow the wounded personnel to be transferred to Egypt and receive treatment. Also allow medical volunteers into Gaza to support medical teams there. The Palestinian Health Ministry so far has reported 5,800 deaths since the conflict began. The Israeli military dropped leaflets on Gaza on Tuesday, telling Palestinians to provide information about hostages held by Hamas. Uh, one of the two Israeli hostages released on Monday spoke to journalists for the first time. John Gambrell reports. We've heard from this 85-year-old who was one of two elderly women released by Hamas in what they described as a humanitarian release. Now, she spoke to journalists in Tel Aviv with her daughter alongside her, and she just described a day of horror when Hamas poured over the border from Gaza on October 7th, taking her and some 200 others hostage. She described the militants grabbing her and spiriting her into the Gaza Strip. There, she described young men beating her briefly with sticks, but then said she was basically treated well through the rest of her two weeks in captivity. Let's listen to what she had to say to journalists. I've been through hell, which we never imagined or thought we'd get out of. They rampaged through our kibbutz, kidnapped me, laid me on a motorbike on the side, flew with me through the plowed fields. They blew up the fence. There was no difference in kidnapping the elderly or the young. Now, one thing to keep in mind as well is her comments and how she's uh, behaved since being released has kind of drawn the ire of some Israelis. There's some here in this country now who are very upset after this Hamas attack that killed some 1,400 people. They want to see Hamas dismantled. They want to see military action in the Gaza Strip. 
But when this woman was released, there was footage that Hamas released alongside it, showing her turning to one of the militants and saying shalom, or peace in Hebrew, and reaching out to him. Her husband still remains held by that militant group in the Gaza Strip. Meanwhile, French President Macron visited the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. Macron's visit brought a little bit of a protest from some Palestinians who were upset that he came to see Abbas after meeting with Israeli officials. Now, one thing to keep in mind as well is it kind of underscores the challenge that the international community has in dealing with the Palestinians. Abbas's Fatah party was thrown out of the Gaza Strip 15 years ago by Hamas, and there's some that believe the 87-year-old doesn't even have the power to rule in the West Bank right now. Meanwhile, Macron's comments while meeting with Netanyahu also have raised eyebrows in Israel. They pointed to the fact that Macron mentioned this idea that somehow they could reconstitute the anti-Islamic state uh, group of nations that fought against that militant group to push them out of Syria and Iraq. And the reason why that's surprising is because there's a lot of Muslim nations that are involved in that group. And right now, many in those countries are upset by just the pounding Israeli airstrikes that have targeted the Gaza Strip. That was John Gambrell in Jerusalem. Uh, calls for a peaceful end of the Israel-Palestine conflict have dominated a recent United Nations Security Council meeting. Many officials expressed concern about the deteriorating humanitarian crisis in the region. Uh, meantime, Israel's called for the resignation of UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres over his remarks about Israel and Palestine. Jody Jacobs has this report from New York. There was a tense session at the Security Council on Tuesday, its fourth meeting since the start of the war between Hamas and Israel. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence. Their economy stifled, their people displaced and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. While pleading with the council to protect civilians and UN staff and help end the violence, his comments and his overall speech didn't go down well with the Israeli delegation. Uh, obviously our government will have to, uh, to, make, to reassess the, uh, our relations with the UN and its officials that are stationed in our region. Two Security Council resolutions calling for an end to the conflict have already failed. The Palestinian foreign minister urged the council to save lives, saying its continued failure was inexcusable. Is it not the Security Council's duty to maintain international peace and security and preserving the principles and purposes of the UN Charter? that have guaranteed to our peoples to save the generations from the scourge of war and taking these joint and effective measures to prevent the causes that threaten peace as per the principles of international law and justice? Or is it difficult for your Security Council to uphold its responsibility and its mandate and resolutions without selectivity or double standards. This was a sentiment echoed by many Arab states. The U.S. has put forward a new resolution which Russia says it will not support. China has urged Security Council members to unite around one resolution and to bring peace and stability in the region. It says the eyes of the world are on this chamber and decisive action needs to be taken sooner rather than later. 
And that was Jody Jacobs reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, China's set to launch its next manned spaceflight. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 22 minutes past the hour. Well, China set to launch the Shenzhou 17 spacecraft on Thursday. Crew members Tang Hongbo, Tang Shengjie, and Zheng Xinlin have met the media ahead of their voyage to the Chinese space station. Ule has more. And just now, the Shenzhou 17 crew uh, meets the press, and the, the Shenzhou 17 crew, uh, Commander Tang Hongbo and uh, the other two Takonauts, Tang Shengjie and uh, Jiang Xinlin, uh, they have given us uh, many details about their missions aboard China Space Station. Uh, for example, uh, Tang Hongbo will be the commander, and uh, he will uh, lead the other two Tagonauts and finish a lot of uh, spacewalks, space experiments in the Chinese space station. Jiang Xinlin, he will conduct uh, several uh, space experiments and also uh, uh, spacewalks. And we don't know how, uh, when will they conduct the spacewalk, but uh, a lot, some spacewalks will be carried out during this stay in Chinese space station, six-month space station. And... Uh, at last, uh, Commander Tang Hongbo have encouraged uh, uh, youngsters uh, across the world that uh, you have to chase your dreams and uh, uh, when you want to uh, be an astronaut or work in the space sector, you have to work hard and uh, pursue your dreams in the space sector. And uh, I can feel that uh, the Shenzhou 17 crew are really confident and the uh, uh, they have very good condition right now. They are ready for the upcoming six-month stay. That was Ule on China's latest manned space mission. U.S. Republicans have nominated Congressman Mike Johnson to lead the, the House of Representatives. This comes after Congressman Tom Emmer dropped out just hours after his nomination. Johnson's the fourth Republican this month to win the party's nomination for the Speaker's chair. It's unclear whether he'll become the latest hopeful to fall victim to party infighting, which has paralyzed Congress over three weeks. Uh, Benji Heyer has more. Well, things move fast in Washington, don't they? Tom Emmer had the support to be the nominee, the third speaker designated for the Republican Party in as many weeks, but simply not the numbers to actually get the gavel. And from the off, his bid to become speaker looked to be on the verge of collapse. He needed about 217 Republicans to back him were this to have taken to the House floor. He seems nowhere near that. Significant opposition within the ranks of the Republican Party, with dozens of lawmakers refusing to put their name by his. And then I think the nail in the coffin came in the middle of the afternoon on Tuesday when former President Donald Trump put out on his Truth Social platform uh, that uh, voting for Emma would be a mistake and that his candidacy was effectively finished. That turned out to be true. He pulled out the Minnesota congressman after just a couple of hours. And uh, now the Republican Party are back to square one, trying to find a replacement for Kevin McCarthy, who was ousted weeks ago. They've already gone through two other speaker designates, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, none of them making that 217 threshold. 
And the chaos that we're seeing engulf the Republican Party comes at a critical time for American democracy on the first hand, considering that on the horizon in a couple of weeks, Congress will hit another deadline for a government shutdown. And then on the global stage too, Israel and Ukraine are fighting their own wars and are urging representatives in the House behind me to uh, fund uh, aid packages for them. That cannot be done. In fact, no legislation can be passed without a speaker at the helm. And so time is running out on a number of fronts now for Republican lawmakers to coalesce around somebody anybody that they can back to fill that vacant seat of power and fill the role that many lawmakers call the worst job in America. And that was Benji Heyer reporting from the U.S. Capitol. The Hungarian parliament's refused a proposal to hold a vote on Sweden's bid to join NATO. This comes after Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan signed the Nordic country's accession protocol and submitted it to the Turkish parliament for ratification. The Hungarian foreign minister says his country's stance on Sweden's NATO admission remains unchanged. The decision does not change our situation at all. The Parliament of Hungary is a sovereign parliament of a sovereign country, which will make a sovereign decision on this issue. Turkey previously stated that it would not approve the memberships of Finland and Sweden to NATO unless the two countries took necessary steps regarding terrorism and extradited what it calls terrorist suspects as requested. The Koran-burning incidents in Sweden had been met with a strong reaction from Turkey. But the two countries' membership vetoes have now been lifted. Uh, the admission of Sweden to NATO requires endorsement from all 31 of the group's members. Peruvian police have displayed more than three tons of cocaine seized in operations conducted with the Navy. President Dina Boluarte visited an airport where the confiscated drugs were displayed. She said her government would back up the security forces with everything they need to tackle drug trafficking. Estamos detrás de ustedes. We are chasing drug traffickers and will continue working and giving all the support to our armed forces and the national police in terms of logistics and everything they need to be able to firmly and decisively face in this frontal fight against drug trafficking. The Peruvian Navy and National Police took part in the operation on Tuesday, patrolling waters off the country's northern coast towards the border with Ecuador, and they seized around 1,300 kilograms of cocaine. Another boat was intercepted on Friday, and police seized over 1,700 kilograms of the drug. We're at 28 minutes past the hour, and Beijing's down to 10 degrees this evening. Tomorrow, sunny skies in 20. Chongqing has a slight rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 17 and a high of 20. Last is down to plus 1, then cloudy in 15 degrees. Hong Kong's at 25 overnight, then sunny in 30. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 13 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny in 24 on Thursday. Islamabad's down to 16 degrees. And then uh, sunny skies in 27. Bangkok has rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a a low of 25 and a high of 32. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese presidents met with the visiting governor of California in Beijing. Palestinian authorities say but getting aid into war-torn Gaza continues to be a, a, ch a challenge. And China will launch its Shenzhou 17 mission later on this week. And Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. 
mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world, this is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, still to come. In business, China will issue another one trillion yuan of government bonds. In sports, China's setting records at the Hangzhou Asian Para Games. In culture and entertainment, Ujen's theater festival is creating a tourism boom. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping and his Colombian counterpart Gustavo Petro have announced the elevation of China-Colombia relations to a strategic partnership. The two leaders have held talks in Beijing. The Colombian president is on a state visit to China. President Xi said he is willing to work with President Petro to promote the China-Colombia strategic partnership to better benefit the two peoples and inject positive energy into world peace and development. Chinese President Xi Jinping says China is ready to work with the United States to contribute to each other's progress and push for common prosperity. In a congratulatory message sent to the annual gala dinner of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, the Chinese leader said that under the three principles of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence and win-win cooperation, China is willing to work with the U.S. to advance mutually beneficial cooperation, properly manage differences and make joint efforts to meet global challenges so as to deliver benefits to both countries and the whole world. Chinese Premier Li Qian has arrived in the Kyrgyz capital Bishkek for a meeting of the heads of government of Shanghai Cooperation Organization member states. Li is also on an official visit to the country until Friday. In a brief meeting upon his arrival, the Premier told the Kyrgyz Prime Minister that China is ready to implement the consensus reached by their leaders, deepen political and strategic mutual trust, and set new benchmarks for cooperation. Premier Li said China looks forward to working with other SCO members to inject new impetus into regional peace, stability and development. 
China will launch the Shenzhou-17 manned spacecraft on Thursday. The China Manned Space Agency says Chinese astronauts Tang Hongbo, Tang Shenjie and Jiang Xinlin will be on board to space station Tiangong. As the commander of the mission, Tang Hongbo will be the first astronaut to return to China's space station. He will also set a record for the shortest interval between two spaceflight missions by a Chinese astronaut. The Chinese mainland has slammed Lai Qingde's full statement on the 1992 consensus. The deputy head of the Taiwan region earlier said accepting the 1992 consensus means giving up Taiwan's so-called sovereignty. Spokesperson Zhu Fenglian of the State Council Taiwan Affairs Office says people in Taiwan should be clear about Lai's deception. The Taiwan question is purely China's internal affair and is not an international affair at all. The 1992 consensus is the political basis for cross-straits dialogue and consultation. Lai Qingde is seeking the so-called independence by force and relying on foreign interference, but at the same time talking about cross-straits cooperation. His actions are completely deceptive. The 1992 consensus stipulates that both sides of the Taiwan Strait belong to one China. Donald Trump's former lawyer has testified that he manipulated the values of the former U.S. president's properties. Michael Cohen said Trump tasked him with doctoring financial statements to boost the value of Trump's company holdings. Cohen is a key witness in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case against Trump. Meanwhile, another of Trump's former lawyers, Jenna Ellis, pleaded guilty on Tuesday to helping Trump's efforts to overturn his 2020 election defeat in the state of Georgia. Trump has denied the accusations. California has suspended autonomous vehicle deployment and driverless testing permits for GM crews. The state's Department of Motor Vehicles says it can immediately suspend or revoke permits where there is an unreasonable risk to public safety. It adds that the decision does not impact GM's permit for testing with the safety driver. The regulator said in August it was investigating incidents involving autonomous vehicles operated by crews in San Francisco and asked the company to take half its robo-taxis off the roads. It came as a cruise robo-taxi was involved in a crash with an emergency vehicle in the city. Liberia's presidential election is headed to a runoff vote in November. Neither President George Weir nor opposition leader Joseph Boakai got enough votes to win outright. Tallied results show that Weir holds a slim lead with over 43% of the vote, but less than half of a percentage point separates the two candidates. The Electoral Commission said there was a record turnout of nearly 79% of around 2.4 million registered voters. The October election was widely seen as a test of support for former soccer star Weir. He's been criticised for not doing enough to tackle corruption in his first term. South Korea is set to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the deadly Halloween crush incident in the capital. Relatives of the victims and civic groups are planning to hold a memorial event in front of City Hall to mourn the victims. They also urged authorities to disclose more information on what contributed to tragedy. Hundreds of Halloween partygoers were trapped during a crowd crush in the Itaewon district of Seoul on October the 29th last year. The narrow and steep streets and constrained access points in the area proved a lethal mix and killed over 150 people while injuring more than 190 others. 
The International Energy Agency says global demand for coal, oil and natural gas will peak this decade for the first time in history. In its latest World Energy Outlook, IEA said growing clean energy technologies and structural economic shifts around the world have major implications for fossil fuels. The share of fossil fuels in the global energy supply were declining from around 80% to 73% by 2030. Global energy-related carbon dioxide emissions will peak by 2025. Renewables are set to contribute 80% of new power generation capacity by 2030. Thank you very much. That was Ju Tianlu. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China will issue another 1 trillion yuan of government bonds. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 38 minutes past the hour. Turning to business and uh, China State Council has given the green light to a plan to issue an additional 1 trillion yuan or roughly 137 billion U.S. dollars in additional government bonds. The bonds are earmarked for disaster relief and construction efforts. The purpose of this bond issuance is to support infrastructure projects in the aftermath of severe flooding and other natural disasters that have recently affected parts of China. The funds will be allocated to local governments with half to be utilized before the end of the year and the other half in the following year. The Shanghai Cooperation Organizations made remarkable achievements since it was established in 2001, according to the General Administration of Customs. The trade value of the SCO member countries has increased by nearly 100 times in 20 years, and its share in the global trade value has increased from 5.4% in 2001 to 17.5% in 2020. In meantime, favorable policies are benefiting SCO countries. The trade volume between the China SCO Local Economic and Trade Cooperation demonstration area and the SEO countries increased from 850 million yuan, roughly 116 million US dollars in 2019 to 8.1 billion yuan in 2022. With more, Michelle Vandenberg spoke with chief economist Richard Yetsenga at Banking Group ANZ. How do you think um, regional cooperation like uh, the SEO um, help promote global economic growth? Yeah, I think it's important that maybe to step back with a realistic lens. It, it's clear broad multilateralism has been more challenged. Globalization has had a more difficult time the last 10 years, but we also know that trade between countries and when countries cooperate, actually both economies win. So in my sense, you know, in the economic space, anything that keeps the flame of trade um, multilateralism alive, even if it's within these more regional, smaller groupings, I think is a good thing will take us forward. Hopefully it continues to distribute to the global economy. And you're an expert on global economy. What's your prospects for um, the global economic outlook? I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. People like to talk about the challenges all the time, and there are plenty of those. Interest rates Mm -hmm. um, are one, but certainly if you think where we've come from in the last three and a half years, from a pandemic to quite a strong global recovery, um, the world's handled higher interest rates in relatively good shape. The climate transition is more readily accepted as something that we really need to work through. Um, global trade has, has rebounded. Uh, here we are in Asia and the regional economy has actually done well in that period and benefited from those stronger trade links. 
challenges, yes, but I think um, the global economy is still doing quite well. I think you know there's lots of activity around. I, I like your optimism, but what do you think are the main challenges uh, going forward? Let's say in the near future. Well, continuing to cope with high interest rates, mm -hmm. and you know people use the recession word quite a lot. Certainly, I'm much less worried about a bad global recession. Um, in the next year or two. I think for most economies, balance sheets are quite strong and the response for, from central banks has been quite measured and sensible. Um, the Fed, for instance, looks like it's finished tightening for now. Climate change clearly remains a huge issue. The world has nearly 200 economies. We need to come together around something which is uh, you know, vexing, complicated, will take substantial resources, but also actually you know, here we are in China, which has a very strong position in a number of sectors related to the climate transition, um, solar panels, EVs, processing of critical minerals. The world's going to need all of those, I think, if we're, if we're going to successfully deliver into this transition. That was Chief Economist Richard Yesengup at Banking Group ANZ talking about the SEO's contribution to member countries and the world economy. The China-Africa Business Council has published a report to help direct Chinese investment in Africa, highlighting the importance of Chinese enterprises in the economic development of the continent. The report covers a range of topics, including the policy framework and existing cooperation mode under African industrial chains. Wang Dong with the Chinese Ministry of Commerce hails the importance of strengthening cooperation between China and Africa. Strengthening investment cooperation is an important way for China and Africa to enhance the integration of industrial and supply chains, work together to address challenges and achieve common development. China attaches great importance to investment cooperation in Africa. Under the framework of the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, a series of measures have been proposed to encourage, support and guide Chinese enterprises to continuously invest in Africa and push China-Africa investment cooperation to a new level. The report also points out that Chinese enterprises are an important force to promote Africa's development and transformation in sectors including agriculture, infrastructure and the digital economy. The Chinese National Immigration Administration says the country logged 123 million entry and exit trips in the third quarter of this year. That was up over 454 percent. Chinese mainland residents made nearly 62 million of the trips, while foreign nationals made nearly 11 million. The country also saw over 182 percent more entry-exit transport vehicles than the same period last year. During the third quarter, China issued over 4.6 million passports. That was up more than 1,350. 50%. Over 600,000 visas for foreign nationals were issued on par with 2019. The Latino community is a huge driver of the U.S. economy. According to a new study, in 2021, Latino economic output alone hit $3.2 trillion U.S. dollars. But despite all this, a significant percentage of U.S. Hispanics still manage their finances without traditional banks. Nitsa Soledad Perez has more. But close to 5% of U.S. households are unbanked, meaning no one in the home has a checking or savings account at a bank or credit union. And that number is a bit higher among Latinos. According to the most recent U.S. government survey, 8.4% of Hispanic households were unbanked, compared with 1.7% of white households, making between thirty dollars and $50,000 a year. Miguel Rodriguez moved to the U.S. from El Salvador in 1985 and wants nothing to do with U.S. banks. 
No, no, yo no tengo ya. I took all my money out of the bank. Why did you withdraw all your money? Because they charged me $400 in fees I allegedly owed them. I said, I don't owe you a thing. You work with my money, and I took it all out. High bank account fees are one reason people refuse to open a bank account. And the most common challenge for many of the unbanked is having enough money to meet the minimum balance requirements. And for the Latinos, there's a question about trust and bad memories of bank runs in Latin America. Latinos' immigration status is another issue. People, they, they feel afraid to go, of course, to the bank because immediately they're going to request for their social security number. But some Hispanic fintech entrepreneurs are attempting to address the needs of those intimidated by the traditional U.S. banking system and its rules. One solution is H-Way, short for the Hispanic way, allowing migrants to create digital bank accounts with a valid ID, no minimum account balance required, no maintenance fees, and cards that operate like regular ATM cards. What we decided to do is help people in what they need the most. Get paid, put your salary in it, be able to save money, to send money home, to get paid a couple of days early because you put your direct paycheck with us, uh, providing mechanisms to do saving, to make investments. H-Way also provides money transfers at lower costs than traditional remittance services. A U.S. bank sponsors the program and the money is insured up to $250,000. SAIS is another digital account option for the Latino population. This banking service is exclusively for Spanish speakers. These digital solutions provide options to the unbanked, but informing them about these services is another challenge. People need to more education and more resource people that they're advocate to them to explain it to them how the economy in the United States works. And that's important information since by 2050, Hispanics are on track to represent more than 25% of the U.S. population. That was Nitsa Soledad Perez reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's setting records at the Hangzhou Asian Para Games. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports now, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with the Hangzhou Asian Para Games. China claimed 36 out of 80 gold medals on the second competition day of the Games on Tuesday. In doing so, they also broke a slew of Games, Asian and even world records. Wen Xiaoyan broke the world record in the women's long jump T37 with 5.45 meters. Sun Peng Xiang refreshed the men's javelin throw F41 world record with 48.46 meters. In shooting, China's Huang Xing won gold in the 10-meter air pistol SH-1. He was thrilled by the victory. What I was thinking at that moment is that I wanted to have a perfect ending, which means I should shoot at least 10 points in the last attempt. So I was very serious about my movements. I didn't know my score after I finished my last shot. But I heard cheers, then I saw it was 10.6 points. I couldn't believe it and didn't expect such a high score. But that proves my efforts finally get a perfect return. China's athletes also set a number of records in the swimming pool. In the men's 65-kilogram powerlifting division, Zhou Yi heaved 222 kilograms in his fourth lift to win the gold and refresh the world record. 
2007 Formula One world champion Kimi Raikkonen has agreed to a partnership with Chinese EV company Zika. The company announced the development on X, stating that Raikkonen had signed on to become the firm's chief performance advisor. They added that the Finn would oversee the launch of the Zika 001FR in Beijing on Friday. 44-year-old Raikkonen retired from F1 at the end of 2021 after almost 20 years in the sport. Making his debut with Sauber in 2001, the Finn then spent five seasons with McLaren before moving to Ferrari for 2007, where he secured his only world championship title. A record 125 players born outside the United States are on NBA opening night rosters. 40 countries and territories across six continents are represented. This is the 10th straight year opening night rosters have had 100 or more international players. All 30 teams have at least one foreign-born player. The previous record for international players was 121. Canada is once again the most represented country outside of the United States with 26 players. France is second with 14 players, including San Antonio Spurs rookie Victor Webanyama, the number one pick in this year's draft. Nikola Jokic led the way for the Denver Nuggets as the defending NBA champions beat the Los Angeles Lakers 119-107 in their opening game of the new season. Nuggets players were presented with their championship rings before tip-off at the Ball Arena in Colorado and produced an impressive display. Serbia's Jokic finished with 29 points, 13 rebounds and 11 assists, while teammate Jamal Murray added 21 points. LeBron James of the Lakers had 21 points. The Phoenix Suns opened their 2023-24 campaign with a win, 108-104, over the Golden State Warriors. The Suns' Devin Booker led the way in scoring, doing so with 32 points. In the CBA, TJ Leaf notched 31 points to help the Beijing Ducks rally past the Zhejiang Lions 113-106 at home, while the Guangdong Southern Tigers beat the Zhejiang Golden Bulls 106-96. UEFA Champions League football has resumed and the action is as exciting as ever. Manchester United's heavily criticised defender Harry Maguire scored a 72nd minute header to hand Manchester United a 1-0 win over FC Copenhagen. The equally criticised United goalkeeper Andre Onana saved Jordan Larson's stoppage time penalty to secure the victory. United manager Eric Ten Hag praised his side's spirit after the game. I think that, hey, you see, but you see it. This is a very good spirit in the dressing room. They are, all, they are together, and they fight together, and they celebrate together. And if we have setbacks, they support each other. And I think that spirit yeah, that is always needed to, to be a successful team. In other selected results, Arsenal defeated Sevilla 2-1 and goals from Kingsley Coman, Jamal Musiala and England skipper Harry Kane helped Bayern Munich defeat Galatasaray 3-1. Jude Bellingham now has 11 goals in 12 games as Real Madrid edged Braga 2-1. Cristiano Ronaldo scored a spectacular double as Al Nasser claimed a 4-3 win in Riyadh over Al Duhail from Qatar. The win means the Saudi Pro League club remains perfect in the Asian Champions League, moving to 9 points from 3 games in Group E. The former Manchester United and Real Madrid forward set up Anderson Talisca to score his side's opener in the 25th minute and Sadio Mane netted the second. Ronaldo then scored from distance in the 61st minute to give Al Nasser a three-goal lead. Two goals pulled Al Duhail back into contention before Ronaldo's 81st minute volley restored their two-goal cushion. 
Mikael Ulanga hit Al Duhail's third with five minutes remaining to ensure a tense finish. Elsewhere in the Asian Champions League, Wuhan Three Towns claimed its first ever victory in the tournament. The Chinese Super League champions beat Hanoi FC from Vietnam 2-1 in their third round of Group J. And finally, South Africa produced yet another batting masterclass to thrash Bangladesh by 149 runs in Mumbai. The win moves them up to second in the Cricket World Cup table. Opener Quinton de Kock smashed a dazzling 174 off 140 deliveries, while captain Aidan Markram added 60 and Heinrich Klaassen hit 90 to help them post an impressive 382 for 5. Bangladesh were well off the required pace in their chase, losing their middle order quite cheaply. A fourth consecutive defeat sees Bangladesh sink to the bottom of the table. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, Wujen's Theatre Festival is creating a tourism boom. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment, and Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. Wuzhen is greeting a flood of tourists as the ancient city hosts the annual Wuzhen Theatre Festival. Hu Chao spoke to visitors and tourism officials and found more. Tang Jianyu and her husband have run their homestay business for over one decade in the Asian water town of Wuzhen. They've seen a considerable uptick in business as the annual theater festival unfolds, with tourists flocking to the area. Their homestay is in one of Wuzhen's Asian homes, a charming two-story building with seven guest rooms that's almost fully booked every day. Our income has been rapidly growing, with so many tourists' businesses soaring. Since I started to run the homestay business, we've bought an apartment and a car, and we have really good savings. <laughs> Wuzhen now boasts nearly 50 homestays in well-preserved old residences within the scenic area. With a history spanning more than 1,000 years, it once suffered deteriorating natural surroundings and poorly preserved Asian architecture. But since Wuzhen underwent a transformation into a scenic spot two decades ago, the town has become one of the most charming in China. It's amazing, the water town. We went on a boat and we went through and we've had some really delicious food. There's so many people here, but I think we've seen lots of new things for the first time. We've never seen kind of some of the dancing and some of the more traditional theater and plays. We've never seen that before. We don't have that in Australia. so. It's been, yeah, really special to see that here and walk around and just take it all in. And... The annual Wuzhen Theatre Festival has become one of the world's top cultural events of its kind. The town blends natural beauty with diverse cultural activities, attracting up to 10 million tourists a year from across the world. Wuzhen has become younger. As you can see, young people are everywhere. In the past, people said Wuzhen was just a scenic spot, but now they say it's where the theater festival is held. Wuzhen has shown us a good direction for combining culture and tourism, which means seeking development by making good use of the place. I believe this is the best form of protection. Chen says Wuzhen is aiming to diversify and enrich its offerings with the hope of becoming even more competitive. That was Hu Chaoying.
Wu Jin. Competitive survival reality show Crash Over has premiered on Chinese streaming platform Tencent Video. The show depicts talents from different fields such as fencing, snowboarding, taekwondo, swimming, mixed martial arts, and other professional sports fields, trying to survive in the wildness. There are also several world record holders, winners of three major gold medals in the World Acrobatics Grand Slam, and retired firefighters. Russian painter Valentin Dmitriev is showcasing his、um, artworks near Tsinghua University in Beijing. Three dozen of his works are on display, including Russian-style oil paintings and Chinese-style paintings. He created Chinese landscape paintings such as the Forbidden City by drawing on the location's history, establishing great contrast between modern skyscrapers and classic architecture. Dmitriev enjoys a prominent position in Russia and is well versed in landscape oil painting and shows an electric taste in painting. And finally, Taishun in Zhejiang Province has hosted a meeting on the protection of China's unique corridor bridge architecture. With a history of over 2,000 years, corridor bridges or Langqiao combine traditional Chinese culture and scenery. The meeting explored and the、uh, st- strengthening of corridor bridge protection and utilization. Today, the inheritance of this unique architectural heritage is being made possible through interprovincial cooperation and integration of technology. Right. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the day, and Beijing's down to 10 degrees this evening. Tomorrow, sunny and 20. Chongqing has a slight rainfall, continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 17, a high of 20. Last is down to plus one, then cloudy and 15 degrees. Hong Kong's at 25 tonight, then sunny and 30 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 13 this evening. It's sunny and 24 on Thursday. Islamabad's down to 16 degrees, then sunny and 27. Bangkok has rain, continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 20. The high is 32 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: the Chinese president's met with the visiting governor of California in Beijing, and Palestinian authorities say getting aid into war-torn Gaza continues to be a struggle. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys.